The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Once I stumbled in the darkness, doing only as I pleased. But I wasn't really happy, and my heart was not at ease. I just didn't have the willingness to follow His commands till I lay. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. The message today is, you must be born again. Almighty God, unfold today for us your word. Quicken it in our hearts. 
break through the walls and the unconsciousness that we could be born again. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Dwight L. Moody, the great preacher of the past, was confronted by one of the parishioners of his church. And his question was, Dr. Moody, when are you going to stop preaching about being born again? His answer was very simple. When you've been born again. Until then, I must keep preaching. You must be born again. I feel a bit like that today. I have a friend, a man and his wife. I love them both very dearly. But every time I begin to speak with them about anything concerning God, they shut down and they ask me not to speak with them about it. They are deliberately restraining the truth of God by their opinions so that they do not need to deal with the guilty conscience that will arise if they allow the light of God to pierce their hearts. There is the illusion, because I can go to Wegmans this afternoon and go grocery shopping or the new mom's store, because I can go to a restaurant and have dinner, because I have a place to go to work tomorrow, there is the illusion that I'm safe. This allows us in our mind to imagine that we are saved or that at least we are as good as the person sitting next to us. Not realizing that there is no middle ground. That a man is either a sinner or a saint. He can be a sinner and have no conscious awareness of being a sinner because he can resist the knowledge of God. He can resist the promptings of the Holy Spirit and completely shape his life around his own personal beliefs and his own personal traditions and his own personal interests allowing him to live in an illusionary world. I always try to live in an illusionary world when I go to the dentist. I've learned the trick of being in that chair and the dentist is working on my tooth. And I imagine immediately an old memory of whitewater sailing out in the Atlantic The breeze is fresh in my face. We're clipping along at six knots. Everything is just peaceful. And I can lay in that chair and imagine the wind and the waves. I can can even go through a night 
on that boat, taking the night watch and having the flying fish jumping into the boat, slapping me in the face every once in a while. The camaraderie. Oh, I can live out there on that ocean and I don't feel a thing. I'm gone. But reality is, I'm sitting in the dental chair. And once in a while, when it requires a sharp poke, I'm brought back to reality. Unfortunately, quickly following that sharp poke is the numbing effect of the Novocaine. And then we're back out. Any of you get any sharp pokes this week? And then you were gone again? What's the difference between a saint and a sinner? I want to give you a very exact answer. A sinner is one who measures everything from a profit and loss center. A saint is one who has an unwavering and absolute commitment to obey Jesus Christ. To not turn aside from him. To be totally given into his power. Now, all of us, having been raised in America, have a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit in us. I mean, we would not expect our dear brother Mark to know that his cost on this item is $5 and sell it for four fifty. He wouldn't do that in his restaurant. Why? Well, because he's not a charity. He doesn't have someone bailing him out. He knows that he has to charge an appropriate price so that he can make a profit, so he can stay in business and provide a service. Most of us look at life in terms of, will this profit me? Or will this cost me? Can I afford the time to go to church today? No, I have all of these other things that I need to take care of. So I'll get a a text or a phone call. Pastor, I've got to go visit Aunt Mary. Of course, had all week to go visit Aunt Mary. But now it's Aunt Mary against church. Really? Profit and loss. You're being a a good steward of your time. You don't think you'll get enough out of church to counter the loss of seeing Auntie Sue. So you make a decision. Oh, the leaves need to be, by the way, the leaves desperately need to be raked in my yard. Any of you have yards that need leaves being raked? 
You could have done that today. You know, the sun's shining bright. Why aren't you home raking leaves? You've lost, you know. There aren't going to be that many days in November when you can rake your leaves. And you know you have to go to work. If you get up and walk out, I'm going to ask you, are you going to rake leaves? (laughs) You hear what I'm saying? When we view the reality of our life from a profit and loss perspective, we are sinners. And we have denied Jesus Christ. Let me read this for you. John, the third chapter, I tell you the truth. Verse 3. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. That is, born from above. John 3, verse 4. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. He's asking from a profit and loss concern. Nicodemus was a billionaire businessman. He ran tin mines in Europe. He held a very prestigious position. He came at night so he wouldn't have to take time at the office. And so no one would see him. Because he didn't want anybody to see him to think he was going to follow this Messiah, this Jesus. Jesus doesn't deal with him at the level he desires to be dealt with. He says, how can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asks. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. In other words, come on, Jesus, lighten up here a little bit. You know I'm not going to get in my mother's womb again. Jesus does not back off one inch. He says, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water And the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. But the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying. You must be born again. This being born again. Is the transition process. That we make from being a sinner. To a saint. And we have to deal with this very difficult issue of profit and loss. Are you willing to lose everything in order to follow Jesus Christ? Are you willing to lay down your life to follow Jesus? And of course, this raises another issue that's a very difficult one. Duty. My dad always wanted to talk about three words. I have to be careful because when I hear these three words, I still get a bit of an attitude. They still make me a little mad. 
Number one word, attitude. How many times did my dad say, Raymond, change your attitude? Or, Raymond, I don't like your attitude. And you knew when dad said that, uh, you had best adjust your attitude or he would adjust it for you. So I don't like the word attitude. The second word, obey now. Obedience. I mean, somebody says to me, look, you better do this. Everything in me rises up and says, are you kidding me? You're not going to tell me what to do. You're not my boss. I made the mistake of telling my dad that one time. It was the end of the world for me. I thought I was going to die. And then I wished I would die. Well, the third word is duty. Dad was big on duty. Are your chores done, Ray? No. Well, do you think I'm going to do them? Well, I've got to get to school, Dad. Well, I've got to get to work, Ray. Do your duty. I knew better than to talk back beyond that. So I hurried out to do my duty. To take care of the farm things that needed to be taken care of before I was off to school. My dad thought it was wise to run a trap line so I could earn some extra money. You get up in the early hours of the morning, it's pitch dark, and you've got to go collect a muskrat. It's your duty. And then that night, you've got to skin them out and put them on boards, and you sell them for 50 cents a piece. That's what I got out of them. My weekly allowance was 25 cents. So I had a profit and loss issue. So it was still on a cold winter morning with snow and ice. It was a duty to go do what dad told me I had to go do. Raymond, did you set the trap? Yes. It's your duty. Go take care of it. Well, these three words we don't like very much. But it used to be in America that these three words were foundational. But then something happened in our culture where we get to do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it. And of course, mom and dad are going to pick up the cost. Half of the millennials, or a little better, live with mom and dad today. And they think that they ought to be living under this roof because they're entitled. They shouldn't have to do any chores. They shouldn't have to take care of business. And dad thinks they ought to do it without being told. Dad thinks they ought to just become a part of the family system. I mean, in the old day, that's how it was. Mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and the kids, they all lived together. And when somebody got married, they built an extra room on the house. And they all participated on the farm. Well, that day's gone. Now it's mom and dad, you're supposed to do this for me. I'm entitled. 
Just because you gave me birth, you have to take care of me until I die. (sighs) I don't think so. But let's talk about this for a minute. It's called law. And the law came on Mount Sinai. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. Exodus 20. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. In other words, you shall not lie. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or his maidservant or his ox or his donkey or his Mercedes. You shall not covet. Well, as soon as the Apostle Paul in Romans, the seventh chapter, said when he heard the law, everything went crazy and wild in him. And he said, I'm not going to do what you've told me to do. I want to do it, but it's not in me. So rebellion comes up in our heart when we're told, do your duty. I don't want to do my duty. It's your duty to die. Well, I don't want to die. It's your duty to lay down your defensiveness. Well, I don't want to lay down my defensiveness. It's your duty to take care of this. I don't want to do my duty. I'll do what I want to do. I'll go where I want to go. I'll say what I want to say. And so kids today, I hear them saying some of the strangest thing to their parents. I hear kids say, no, I'm not going to do it. I would have died. My mom and dad did not hear those words. But today... Dr. Spock included and all of the modern teaching about permissiveness. You got to love your kids. No, you don't have to love your kids. You have to keep your kids holy. And if your kids are holy, they're going to be happy. And that's going to take a lot of love. But we've contrasted discipline and love. And we've said they're two separate things. They're not two separate things. A child that is not disciplined is not loved. A child that does not have safe boundaries does not know what it is to be loved. The same is true for us. If we have no boundaries, we don't understand that God loves us. If we think we can just roll out and do what we want to do and be what we want to be, because somebody fawned over us and said, You're the future of America, and we love you, and we want to give you everything we can give you, and you're so smart, you're so beautiful, and we're not going to give out trophies. We're going to give out a trophy for everybody, because everybody wins. Are you kidding me? It's this cultural lie that we bought into. Everybody can be what they want to be, and we never have to do our duty. But tell me, how do we get from... From the law, because you know America is a nation of laws, right? That's how we were founded. We were founded on an, as a nation of law and order. We were not founded as a, a nation of how do you feel. I mean, I just driving here was thinking about it. I came to a red light. 
and there were no cars coming in the other direction. And I wanted to get here. Did I have the right to drive through that red light because nobody was coming the other way? No. And there was a policeman sitting over on the other side. (laughs) He had a gun. He was reminding me, Mr., you drive through that red light, and I'm going to come after you with my lights on. And if you just drive away from me and think you can do that, I'll shoot you. Somehow we think these policemen are tame little chihuahuas. They're law and order people. They think different than most people think. And we're in a cultural crisis because of that. So how do we deal with this law versus grace? How do we begin to transition into grace? And the modern church is taught that grace is mushy and nice and sweet, and it lets you do anything you want to do. And you're saved. If that's the case, then Jesus is a minister of sin and not of righteousness. I want to tell you today, Jesus is not a minister of sin. He is a minister of righteousness. And Jesus coming did not change the requirement that we walk in obedience. What Jesus did by coming was find another source for righteousness or right behavior that was not birthed out of law. It was birthed out of his heart. So what Jesus did when he came was say, look, I need to change the motives of your heart. The motive for keeping the law is, I don't want a ticket. That's profit and loss. The motive for not stealing is if the policemen catch me, I'm going to go to jail. So you go into the 7-Eleven and you see the candy bars Do you pick one up and slip it in your pocket? If you're wise, you don't. Because they have surveillance cameras. And they'll find you. And they'll embarrass you. And they may put you in jail. So again, it's a profit and loss situation. You don't want to lose by breaking the law and getting caught and paying the penalty. So you say, okay, I won't do that. Jesus comes. Look at it in Romans. The fifth chapter. Verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, 
how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life. Suddenly, all of the motives change. No longer in Jesus Christ am I trying to avoid paying a price. That's no longer my motivation. I now know he loves me. He's there for me. And he's calling me into his heart. My motivations now change because I'm in an intimate relationship with Jesus where I have laid down my life. I have been crucified with him. I've given up my ambition. I've given up my desire to be in charge of my life. I'm now surrendering that to Jesus. And I'm saying, Jesus, I love you because you loved me. And now motives are very different. Suddenly the motive for my life is love. Now you can still do it the hard way. You can still do it by the law. The sinner always does. And I've seen people come into church and say, Okay, pastor, tell me, what do I have to do to be saved? Okay, I have to read my Bible You want me to fast one day a week? Okay, I can do that. Check. You want me to do this? Okay, I'll do that. You want me in church every Sunday? Yep, do that. Okay, I can do all of that. Now, pastor, am I saved? No. You're just religious now. You just got religion. But are you saved? No, because your heart is still bitter and fighting against the law. You're still angry. You still in your heart don't understand what Jesus did for you. He died for you. And he's asking you to die for him. Jesus is the minister not of sin. He is a minister of righteousness. So in our minds and in our hearts, we do our duty. We obey. But not because the law told us to. We obey now because we've discovered that there is a way that I can be joined to the God of heaven and be shaped into his likeness. So the bitterness can be removed from my heart. The anger can be drained from my spirit. It would be really interesting to take some time today. I wish I could do it and come to each one of you one by one. And say, please tell me on a scale of one to ten, how mad are you? How angry are you? And who are you angry at? Oh, I'm, I'm not angry. Then why are you always growling? You're not angry? Why are you always turning away from Jesus? All sinners are angry. 
whether you sense it or not. Because the Holy Spirit comes and says to you, turn that music off. And you say, I'm not going to turn that music off. He says, get rid of those filthy books, those filthy videos. I walked through a bookstore this last week. I'd never realized that there was one aisle just of graphic novels. And my eyes stopped on one. And it's a por- utterly pornographic image of a young woman, cartoonish. And here's a young man, about 13, standing there devouring it. I'm saying, what? The Lord will say to that young man, as soon as he begins to listen, put that down. It's filthy. Don't touch it. Or a person will say, look, I've saved this much money. And now this person wants to borrow money from me. And that'll mean I can't do this and this and this. I'm not going to loan money to the family member that's asking. It's my money. I worked hard for it. Why should I give any of it? The Christian is going to say, of course. I'm here for you. We're family. We walk together. But you see, anger is stirred up in our hearts as the Holy Spirit comes and begins to try to bring light into our minds and our spirits, and we resist that light, the result is anger. And we turn away from God. And we choose to live in our own traditions, in our own beliefs, in our own arrogance. And anger rises up in our heart. It's very important to take the test. How angry are you? Who are you angry at? Are you here voluntarily or did somebody put guilt on you to make you come? Are you angry about it? I know some of you are not here because you chose to be. You had someone else say you're going to be there. And you had to say, yes, ma'am. How mad are you? Anger and resentment build in our hearts as others impinge on what we think is our legitimate right over our lives because We think we own our lives. 
that anger has to be dealt with. And a decision has to be made. Am I going to turn away from Jesus or am I going to allow him into my life to renovate it and change it and transform it? Am I willing to let Jesus have authority over my life? I faced a very difficult situation yesterday. And my initial reaction was to begin to think about ways that I could deal with that situation. And the Holy Spirit spoke very plainly to me. And he said, will you do your duty? And it's as though the sun broke out in brilliant sunshine. I said, Jesus, I will gladly do my duty to you. I will gladly do what you've asked me to do. And suddenly the peace of God just washed through me. Because I said, yes, I'll do my duty to you, Jesus. And that meant very specific things that I needed to do. I said, okay, Lord, yes, I'll do it. As soon as I said yes, I mean, there was a time in my life where that battle would have taken some weeks with me battling over saying it's not fair. I shouldn't have to do that. That person should be taking care of that. Why do I have to do it? I mean, that reminds me of my childhood where I would argue with dad and say, but dad, Don's bigger than I am. He ought to have to do it. Why are you, I'm the smallest, I'm the youngest in the family. Play the card to the hill. (laughs) You're not being fair, daddy. Make Don do it. He got out of it last time. I mean, we can take that a long way down the road. Mad at our wife, mad at our husband, mad at mom, mad at dad, mad at our boss because they're not being fair to us. If they just understood the situation the way we understand it, and obviously we possess the truth, there's nobody so dangerous as somebody who thinks they have the truth. Last I checked, the truth was a person, Jesus But, oh, we think we've got the truth. And we can, we can play this drama out. Some of you are drama queens or drama kings. Yeah. <laughs> I see some smiles. You recognize what I'm talking about. And we can play that out. We can even make ourselves sick in our drama. The drama calls for us to be victim. All right, I'll be a good victim. I'll get some attention. They're going to feel sorry for me. And they're going to feel sorry for how they've treated me. My children just don't know how to respect me. Oh, the games we play. Just so we can avoid doing our duty. 
where we can humble our hearts before God and say, Lord, I will do my duty. I will have an attitude of warmth and care and love and friendship. I will obey you, Jesus. No matter what you tell me, I'll do it. And the devil comes along and he says, you fool. You're really willing to give up all this fun. You know, some people think fighting is fun. Yes, some of you think fighting is fun. So when you try to fight with me, I don't fight with you. What are we going to do? Some of you are so filled with your own agendas, you have no time for Jesus. So in your spare time, you might think about him. But you don't have time to serve Jesus because you have Jesus over here in this pretty little box and you have your world here and you deal in the real world. You pride yourself on being in the real world. Well, either Jesus is going to rule over the whole deal or he won't rule over your life at all now, but he will in the judgment day. There is a judgment coming. For all of those who turn aside from him and say to his face, I will not serve you. Now, very few will say that so boldly, Most say it by taking a side slip and trying to avoid. But today, I'm confronting you head on. Have you made the decision to be a saint, or are you going to continue being a sinner? Have you made the decision that you will not turn aside from Jesus, that you will serve him and him alone, No more excuses, no more games, no more drama. I will serve Jesus. And then will you walk that out and grow up in Jesus, becoming mature as a part of the body of Jesus Christ? A part of growing up is doing the chores. You know what the chores are in the family of God? Being in touch with somebody else in the church during the week and praying for them. Every one of you should be in touch with two or three people every week. With other people who are in the church. Saying, how are you? What's happening? How can I pray for you? Your family, because you come and sit in the same building for a couple of hours a week, and we call that family. I don't call that family. I call that Constitution Hall. I call that the Kennedy Center. The camaraderie after a movie is sometimes interesting, or after a, a concert, as people go to the bathroom and they're talking about what they just saw. And Are those people friends? Are those people Family? No. You're never going to see them again. 
Families reaching out and being in touch. Encouraging, talking, confronting. See, we've seen the church as a bus station where you come and go. Where you blow in and you blow out. It's a, it's a grocery store. You go in and grab and growl and get out. That's not what the church is. The church is a family. We need to really look at this issue of what is our duty to one another? What is our duty to Jesus Christ? What kind of attitude do we carry? What kind of obedience to Jesus do we seek out day by day? Where are the people that you've brought to Jesus? Where is the result of your testimony about Jesus? Or don't you have a testimony about Jesus? Are you praying for people? For their salvation? Are you strategic in those prayers? And are those prayers reaching God? Are you seeing a change in the person's behavior that you're praying for? If not, you're missing the work of the gospel. Did you know that all of you who claim to be Christian are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ? This separation is artificial. We're Pastor does it. No. I just fulfill one function in the body. There are many functions in the body. We need to look very carefully at what is my role in the body of Christ. Do I choose to be a sinner or do I choose to be a saint? Do I choose to deny Jesus and say, I will not do what you've asked me to do? We walk under the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit, not under the law. We are living by grace. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to unrighteousness. It teaches us, God's grace teaches us how to walk, not as Americans, but as Christians. Big difference. So we can say, Jesus, I will not do what you've asked me to do. Then know that you are a sinner. A saint says, I will not turn away from you, Jesus. I will do my duty. I will obey you, and I will do it with a wonderful, loving attitude. Now, you know, as soon as I say that, the only way that can happen is for the Holy Spirit to come into your life. And change you. And that is the work of the gospel of Jesus in our hearts. And if you resist that work, the anger will grow and multiply like bad weeds in your soul. And at some point, you're going to have to deal with your anger. I pray today. that we will not walk in anger or bitterness or selfishness, but we'll walk in the reality that Jesus Christ loves us and paid the price and wants the resistance gone. It's not an emotional decision. It's a cold-blooded decision.
It's looking it square in the eye and saying, Jesus, I will not serve you. Or Jesus, I will serve you. It's a cold, facts on the table decision. Not emotional. You decide. Let's pray. Lord, there are those here today who are squirming, troubled. And now they have to either shut it down or they have to choose to follow you. I ask, Lord, that you would, in your great mercy and your love, pull them through. Lord, pull your children through. That we could be saints in your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.
You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. Oh, his glory.